Get ready for the greatest roast of all time. The Roast of Tom Brady. A Netflix live event happening May 5th. Hosted by Kevin Hart, the seven-time world champion gets his cleats held to the fire by famous friends and frenemies on an unforgettable night where everything is fair game. Tune in on May 5th at 5 p.m. Pacific time for The Roast of Tom Brady, live only on Netflix. You ready? Showtime. On May 3rd, summer starts with The Fall Guy. What are you doing later? Let's drink a spicy margarita. Make some bad decisions. Yes! Audiences are falling in love with the most entertaining film of the year. Fall guy. Fall guy. Fall guy. That's what the poster said. See Ryan Gosling and Emily Blunt in the movie critics say exists to make you happy. Trying to make it out? Nope. Because I don't either. It's not what I'm into right now. What are you into? Talking. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the Fall Guy. Only in theaters May 3rd. Read it PG-13. Three, two, one. But I've worked it out. I love to listen to your podcast. Whenever you say something, other people react to it. Taking my breath away, Aaron. Fern Lundquist joins me. Hall of Famer Jim Calhoun. NASCAR icon Dale Earnhardt Jr. Kirk Herbstreet is on the phone. Here we go. The podcast it is Sweeping America, the Outdoor Sports Podcast. It is Wednesday. December 15th, 2021, people. Hope everybody's having a great day. Hope everybody is ready for an old school episode of the Air Tour Sports Podcast. Here's why it's old school. Uh, There have been a few times since I started this show where I have recorded an entire episode and then something quirky happens and I realize, wait a second, I probably should have led the show with that one specific topic rather than the crap that I was talking about later in the show. And that kind of happened on... Tuesday night as I got set for the Air Tour Sports Podcast. I recorded an entire show. I talked about Spencer Rattler to South Carolina. I talked about the Ryan Day Chicago Bears rumors, the spicy meatball that is the Ryan Day Chicago Bears rumors. I talked a little where Aaron was right, where Aaron was wrong, and we had a great guest at the end of the show, Bill Snyder. I figured there was really no college basketball to talk about. Alabama was playing Memphis, but there's no way. Alabama is actually going to lose to Memphis, so I don't even need to worry about that game. And then Memphis goes out 92-78 and puts together their best effort of the Penny Hardaway era, and Penny Hardaway picks up his biggest win of the Penny Hardaway era. So this is what we're going to do. Old school Aaron Torres Sports Podcast. I'm going to do about seven, eight minutes here off the top on Penny Hardaway, on Memphis, and then I'm just going to throw to my actual show. We're going to do two intros, going to have the intro music play twice, but that is what we're going to do for the Air Tour Sports Podcast because I figured rather than trying to edit around uh, the fact that, that Memphis won this game uh, unexpectedly, let's just lead the show with it. I figure Spencer Rattler is kind of, you know, it's a two-day-old story at this point. Let's lead with Penny Hardaway. Let's lead with Memphis. And then we will get to all the other stuff. We'll talk Spencer Rattler, a little bit of signing day. We will talk about Ryan Day, those Chicago Bears rumors. We'll do where Aaron was right, where Aaron was wrong. And we will welcome on a really, really, really great guest, Bill Snyder, the former head coach of Kansas State, will join me. Long episode, but fun episode, lot to break down. And the way I figure it, it's about an hour and a half with the interview. Break it up, split it in two, save some for Thursday, whatever. But we got ourselves a fun episode of the Aaron Torres Sports Podcast. We'll get to all that other stuff later. But let's lead with what I think is in college sports a topic of the day. And it came on Wednesday night, Tuesday night, FedEx Forum, the Memphis Tigers, 
hosting the Alabama Crimson Tide. And if you listen to this podcast, you know I love college hoops. I haven't talked a ton of college hoops at this point this year. But I've talked a lot about a couple teams. I've talked a lot about Memphis, who is terrible. And I've talked a lot about Alabama, who has been awesome this year. Well, what happens? Alabama just two nights off of that dramatic last second win over Houston. Craziness in the streets of Coleman Coliseum. We got Kellen and Kelvin Sampson yelling and screaming and throwing stuff. Uh, Two nights after that, three nights after that, they go to FedEx Forum. Memphis coming off four straight losses. And naturally what happens? Memphis, 92, Alabama, 78, in the biggest win of the Penny Hardaway era. Congrats to Penny Hardaway. There have been a lot of people that have been critical of him, myself certainly included. But Aaron Wright, Aaron Wrong, I do this every week. I'm going to do it later in the show. And Penny Hardaway had his team better prepared, better focused, better locked in, better ready to go. They were the better team, and they deserved to win. And so as far as the game itself, let me say this. While I have been critical of Penny Hardaway, if you listen to this show and if you follow me on Twitter at Aaron underscore Torres, you know that I've kind of said, look, this team has problems, but there have been signs that they might be able to figure it out. I've been critical because Penny Hardaway doesn't know how to put together a rotation because there's too many mental mistakes, missed free throws, things like that. But I've also said, like, look, if you watch these games, and I watch the entire Georgia game, I watch the entire Ole Miss game, I watch a lot of the Murray State game, and I watch the entire Alabama game on Tuesday night, I, I did say, like, like, most of those games were winnable, okay? The Georgia game, when Memphis played Georgia a few weeks ago, shout out Tom Crean, my boy, love me some Tom Crean. They lose by three on the road in a game that was just sloppy. It was ugly. They had, uh, uh, you know, they just, they, 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 too many dumb mistakes against Georgia. They finished seven of 20 from three. It was just a weird game that they easily could have won, but I would say that was probably the worst performance that I saw from them. The Ole Miss game, they lose 67-63 in a game where they shot, how about this? 23 of 37 from the free throw line, okay? I'm not great at math, but when you miss 14 foul shots and you lose by four, it means that if you were just like a little bit better at the foul line, they call them free throws for a reason, you could have easily won that game. And then after the Murray State game, I would go back and, and, and go back and look at my Twitter feed. I said, I actually saw some signs of improvement in that Murray State game, as weird as it sounds, even though you're never supposed to lose to Missouri State, Murray State, excuse me, if you're Memphis. In that game, they shot much better from the free throw line. In that game, they actually did much better in terms of turnovers. And I said, look, if they can use any momentum, things will start going in the right direction soon. Now, I didn't think they were going to beat Alabama. If I did, I would have waited till they played Alabama to record the Air Tour Sports Podcast. So I didn't think today was the day that they could turn it around, but today was the day that they turned it around. And again, it's credit to Penny Hardaway. Listen, I've said it a million times. Everybody thinks I don't like Penny Hardaway. I, first of all, I love Penny Hardaway. He was one of my favorite players growing up. I, I loved Penny Hardaway as a player. Um, but when you are a head coach and you say you want all the smoke, And you say before the 2019-2020 season, I expect to win a national championship. And before the NCAA tournament was canceled, you weren't even projected to go. You have no signature wins in year four. It's hard for me to just like defend you blindly. And so that was the deal with Penny Hardaway. But in terms of Tuesday night, listen, it all came together. Now, is it going to come together for the next three months, NCAA tournament, all that stuff? We'll talk about that down the road. But on this night, it all came together. 
if you watch the game, this was the first time they ran a real offense. Like guys were cutting, moving, passing. Um, you know, they, they, they kept running these pick and rolls that were killing Alabama. Uh, wide open jumpers. Uh, in terms of, of, of everything else, 8 of 23 from 3. They shot the ball from 3 much better. 20 of 25 from the foul line. Not great at math. That's 80% though. Took care of the ball a little bit better. Had fewer turnovers in Alabama. And the one thing you can never say about Penny Hardaway's teams, they defend their butts off. They have always defended their butts off. Offense has been the problem. And in this game, they did a great job on offense, on defense. Held Alabama to 10 of, of 33 shooting from threes. Um, Alabama had 20 turnovers. Memphis won the rebounding battle. And so let's just do some math here. It doesn't matter who you play. If you win the re rebounding battle, if you make 12 more free throws, and if you force the team to turn the ball over 20 times, you're probably going to win the game. And so that's exactly what happened. Memphis wins the game, best win of the Penny Hardaway era. And what I would say is what they did today was very sustainable. They, they were aggressive. They were fearless. They defended their butts off. They were great in transition. They took care of the ball. When Alabama tried to press, they exposed it with one dunk, layup, uh, layup, dunk, uncontested shot after the other. And that was how they pulled away because it did get interesting late in the game. What I find really interesting, though, is this. Penny Hardaway just picked up his biggest win of his career. Congrats to him. I hope Memphis is good. I've said it a million times. I hope Memphis is good. It'd be awesome for college basketball if a team coached by Penny Hardaway with Larry Brown and Rasheed Wallace as assistants and with Amani Bates, Jalen Duran on their team was awesome. I hope it works out. I hope they're great. But what I would say about Penny Hardaway is this. Penny Hardaway, in picking up his biggest win of his entire career as a head coach at the college level, now has a very interesting decision to make. And why is that? If you watch this game, you notice something. In the first half, Amani Bates, their true freshman, 17 years old, reclassified one of the highest rated recruits, one of the most touted recruits in the history of high school basketball. The kid that was once compared to Kevin Durant, was once compared to LeBron James, those comparisons stopped over the last year or so. But Memphis made their run in the first half when Amani Bates went to the bench. In the second half, Penny Hardaway did not play Amani Bates after the 16-minute mark. And on the game, Amani Bates finished one of six from the field. By far, not by far, but his fewest field goal attempts of the season. Final 16 minutes, the most hyped player maybe in all of college basketball did not play this game. And if you've watched Memphis, if you've played attention, what I would say is a couple things. One, I hope everyone understands. This is not a criticism of Amani Bates. This is not Aaron Torres rooting against Amani Bates. But he's 17 years old. I've talked about him a ton on this podcast. He was a kid that was never coached well, always played for his dad. His dad never let him play against good competition. I worried when he decided to reclassify. I said, I don't know if he's going to be ready. Hasn't played real competition. His dad didn't let him play the highest level of AAU until going into this past summer. He did not have success. On top of that, he never played Team USA basketball against the best players in the country. And when you watch him play at Memphis, he's just not ready to play at this level. And that's not a knock on him. And it's not to say he can't go to the NBA. It's not to say he can't be really good. But he's 17 years old. He's not even eligible for this year's draft. And it was clear on Tuesday night that Memphis was better when Imani Bates was not on the floor. And so why I bring it up is because Penny Hardaway now has officially 
the conundrum that every head coach that recruits one-and-done type talents has. And Amani Bates, by technicality, isn't one-and-done because he's 17 years old. He's not even eligible for this year's NBA draft. But Penny Hardaway has the conundrum that every single head coach has when you recruit players of Amani Bates' caliber. What happens if they do not play to the level that you expect? What happens if your veterans play better? And how do you find that push-pull balance? Because you can even go back. Remember that Ole Miss game? After the Ole Miss game when Penny Hardaway had those insane comments uh, about, uh, you know, uh, whatever he said about, um, you know, about uh, his team and his this and his that. And I, I bring it up because if you go back to what he said after that game, if you remember Penny Hardaway after that game, do you remember what he said? He said, and I'm going to read a quote verbatim. I'm going to have to be a complete a-hole from this point forward and only play the players that care. There's a group of people on this team that if I played them, I really feel in my heart we would be undefeated or only have one loss. And so I thought of that quote as I was watching this game. Because on Tuesday, it became very apparent that there is a core of players that are going to help Memphis win a lot of basketball games this year if Penny Hardaway focuses on them. And they're mostly all the veterans. DeAndre Williams, a fifth-year college player that's like 24, 25 years old at this point. Alex Lomax, a upperclassman, fourth-year player who has been in the program forever. Tyler Harris, he was the guy against Ole Miss. They were down by a million points. They put him in. He plays well, and immediately everything flips, and Ole Miss uh, and, and Memphis starts playing awesome. Plays tonight, has 11, has 11 points. Keep going. Lester Quinones. Landers Nolly. These are fourth, fifth, sixth year college players at some point. And so I think Penny Hardaway now has a real conundrum. He has the conundrum that Coach K has every year, that John Calipari has every year, and that in any given year other coaches have. Do I play the guys that are going to help me win? Or do I figure out a way to get the NBA prospects on the floor? Because if I don't develop this NBA prospect, I'm never going to get another elite high school player again. And what I always I always say on this show, look, there's two types of coaches in college basketball because we can criticize Coach K for a lot. We can criticize John Calipari for a lot, but they bring in freshmen every year and they know if we don't get these guys in and we don't get these guys out and we don't get these guys drafted in the position that they're expected to be drafted in, we're not getting any of these elite players again. And so John Calipari and Coach K, I give them credit because they throw the freshmen into the fire and they say, look, Guys, we got to figure it out, and you keep playing them, and you keep playing them, and you keep playing them, and John Calipari is probably not the greatest example this year because outside of Ty Ty Washington, he doesn't really have those freshmen, but those guys, those two coaches specifically, they're the one-and-done guys, and they know what it's about, and they know we got to keep putting these guys out there even if they're not going to help us win now because, one, they're our most talented players, and two, they're, they're our most talented players, and down the road they can help us win, but again... We have to get these really talented players in and out because if we don't, then we're deemed failures and we're not good and we don't know what we're doing and all that stuff. And then there's the other coaches, and I've talked about this on the podcast many times. There are other coaches that are just not one-and-done guys. I remember about three years ago, it was actually four years ago because Javon Quinterly was a freshman at Villanova, and I remember tweeting, I said, Javon Quinterly, who ironically plays at Alabama, was at Villanova and could not get off the bench. And it was a big topic early in the season. This is the highest rated recruit uh, Jay Wright signed in forever. He never plays him. What's he going to do? Blah, 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 blah. 
And I remember saying at that time, I said if I was the father of a one-and-done type player, I would not send my son to Villanova. Because Jay Wright's not a one-and-done guy. Jay Wright is going to play his older guys. He's going to play his veterans. He is worried about winning every single game, every single possession right now, the second. You can see it this year, by the way. Jay Wright only plays seven. He's got 14 or 15 guys on scholarship because of all the guys that came back because of the COVID year. And he doesn't play any. He only plays six guys. He only plays seven guys. Bill Self is like this. Roy Williams is like this. They're trying to win every game right now. They don't care. It's what puts them in the best position. Whereas John Calipari and Coach K, they may take a loss or two early knowing that they if that, that late they're going to need those freshman guys. And so I'm bringing all this up, and this segment's going really long. We're going to have a long episode of the Air Tour Sports Podcast today because basically the way that I look at it is that John Cal- or that Penny Hardaway now is in a very tough situation. It is very clear the players that are going to win him games this year if he decides to play them. Like I said, DeAndre Williams, Tyler Harris, uh, Landers Nolly, Lester Quinones, Alex Lomax, all the veterans, third, fourth, fifth, sixth-year college players. But what does he do with Imani Bates? And maybe Imani Bates just doesn't care. Maybe Imani Bates wants to come off the bench, only going to play 12, 14, 15 minutes. And maybe Imani Bates, by the end of the year, gets comfortable, gets, gets good in that role. And maybe he's really good. And by the way, Penny Hardaway shouldn't have to rush Imani Bates. He's not even eligible for the draft this year. Doesn't mean he's coming back to Memphis next year, but he's not eligible to go to the draft. So develop him. Be patient. But I think Penny Hardaway has, it's going to be fascinating. Memphis plays Tennessee on Saturday. And I really believe if Penny Hardaway plays the guys he played on Tuesday night, they can obviously beat Tennessee because I think Tennessee's not as good as Alabama. But is he going to go back to Imani Bates? Is he going to play Imani Bates 32 minutes a game? What does he do with Imani Bates? Because I do think that's fascinating. If he decides to be patient with Imani Bates, by the way, this doesn't mean Imani Bates is a bad kid. doesn't mean Imani Bates is forcing Penny's hand. But what does he do with Imani Bates? Because to me, that is the single key as far as what could work for Penny Hardaway, what could work for Memphis, or what ultimately will not work for them. And it's going to determine their season. Because they're already, their back is against the wall. They already have four losses. They did pick up a great win, obviously, this, uh, this uh, Tuesday night against Alabama. They also have a win on top of that over the St. Louis Billikens, who are playing pretty well. So it's not as though their resume is terrible, but they also have four losses. And so it's going to be fascinating to see what Penny Hardaway decides to do. Congratulations to Penny Hardaway. Biggest win of his head coaching career. I'm just curious what he does with his lineups because I don't know if you start him. I don't know if you bring him off the bench, but it is clear that your team is better when Imani Bates is not on the floor. All right. I think that's it for this opening segment of the Aaron Torres Sports Podcast. Um, what I would say is let's take a little break and let's come back and let's do the full show from beginning to end. Because we're now going to have about an hour and a half worth of content on the Aaron Torres Sports Podcast. As I told you, we will now hit on Spencer Rattler. We will now hit on the Ryan Day to the Chicago Bears rumors. We'll do where Aaron was right, where Aaron was wrong. And I should mention, great interview, by the way, great interview. With Bill Snyder, the former head coach at Kansas State, just a great guy, really fun, really interesting in talking to him um, about his career, Kansas State, what it was like when he got there. He tells the story of the AD ran out of money for renovations when he got there, so he was paying out of his own uh, checkbook, if you will, out of his own pocket for renovations. So just incredible, incredible, incredible stuff via Bill Snyder. Busy show. 
I should mention, by the way, off the top, I will mention, of course, everything that happened in Kentucky, Tennessee, Arkansas as well this weekend, so be prepared for that. But loaded Aaron Torres Sports Podcast that is now an hour and a half long because I just did 15 minutes on Penny Hardaway. I'll be right back. Three, two, one. But I'm working out. I love to listen to your podcast. Whenever you say something, other people react to it. Taking my breath away, Aaron. Fern Lundquist joins me. Hall of Famer Jim Calhoun. NASCAR icon Dale Earnhardt Jr. Kirk Herbstreet is on the phone. The podcast is America. The Air Force Podcast. It is Wednesday, December 15th, 2021, people. I hope everybody is doing well. Hope everybody's having a great day, and hope everybody is ready for a loaded episode of the Aaron Torres Sports Podcast. So much to discuss, so much to debate. Let's discuss, let's talk, let's do it all. We will open with the big college football news of the last couple days. Monday, we got the commitment of Quinn Ewers to Texas. On today's show, we focus on Spencer Rattler. He is headed to South Carolina, what it means, why I actually like the fit for both sides. From there, we talk about the latest spicy meatball on the coaching carousel. Did you see the Ryan Day rumor that the Chicago Bears are pursuing him? This has been discussed behind the scenes in college football circles for a while. I'll tell you a little bit about what I know, all that good stuff. We'll play a little where Aaron was right, where Aaron was wrong. A ton of really fun topics there. Don't know how much basketball will do simply because I've talked about Bama and Memphis a lot. They play on Tuesday night. Then a really fun guest, a really fun guest, Bill Snyder. College Football Hall of Famer joins me. Really fun interview with Coach Snyder. Uh, he has a new book out, and he and I just talked about all sorts of good stuff, building up Kansas State. We talked about his former assistant coach, Brent Venables, the new head coach at Oklahoma. Really fun interview, really sharp guy. I really enjoyed talking to Coach Snyder. So loaded show, lots to get into. Before we get into today's show, too, I should mention one thing. This is a very serious topic. I, I'm not making light of the situation. On Monday, I, I didn't mention, um, we have a large following of the Aaron Torres Sports Podcast in the state of Kentucky, okay? And obviously, the state of Kentucky especially, but really the southeast portion of the country, Tennessee, Arkansas, and of course, western Kentucky was hit really hard by tornadoes over the weekend. And so, um, it goes without saying, my thoughts, my concerns, my prayers are with all of you in western Kentucky and Tennessee and Arkansas and places like that. Uh, very scary scene. Again, we have a ton of listeners in Kentucky and Tennessee and Arkansas as well. I hope everybody is doing well. I hope everybody, um, you know, uh, as good as you can be in a situation like this. And so, one, I'm thinking of you. I hope all you guys and girls are okay. I should also mention, you know, we have fun and, and we, we joke about a lot of stuff here. Um, but if you are in the giving spirit this time of year, on the top of my Twitter page, I have pinned a um, a, uh, a promote not a promotion, a, a donation page that you can donate to the Kentucky Red Cross via my old friend Matt Jones, Kentucky Sports Radio. He's doing it through KSR. Last I saw, they had raised well over $150,000. Obviously, look, I understand not everybody can do it, but if you want to do something small to try to help the folks in the state of Kentucky, especially Western Kentucky, it is pinned to the top of my page. Obviously, Matt is as big of a voice as there is in the state of Kentucky. I give him and his team so much credit for everything that they are doing for their state. I have obviously donated 
donated what I can, even if you got a few bucks. If, if you got a few bucks lying around, a couple extra bucks after buying your Christmas presents, please consider uh, making that donation. But again, mostly I just want to say my thoughts, my my prayers are with Western Kentucky, with Arkansas, with, with Nashville area, Tennessee, anywhere that was impacted by those tornadoes over the course of this weekend. With that said, this is a sports show, uh, and let's get to the topic of the day. It is still weirdly a busy time in college football, okay? And so let me say this even before we get into the Spencer Rattler stuff. Wednesday is National Signing Day. I'm not going to do a ton on today's show about National Signing Day. I'll probably recap, talk a little bit about it on Friday's show, but I just feel like, look, it, it would be disingenuous. I think I'm very knowledgeable on a lot of subjects, but I'm not going to sit here and break down a, a three-technique defensive tackle from Houston, and he's choosing between Alabama and Texas A&M, and let me tell you why. Like, like there are some really good recruiting podcasts that can probably give you better insight into National Signing Day. So we'll have full reaction on Wednesday's on Friday's episode. Excuse me, but National Signing Day. If you're into National Signing Day, we'll have a live blog at Aaron Torres Online on Wednesday. So really fun day, National Signing Day. I'm not going to pretend like I am a recruiting guru on the football side, but National Signing Day is really fun. But with that said. Let's really get to the topic of the day, which is National Signing Day, and really why this transfer portal stuff has heated up so much over the course of the last couple weeks. It is because of the fact so many players had to hit the portal so early because of the fact that National Signing Day starts on Wednesday, December 15th, and if you do not lock in your spot, if you want to leave, if you want to go somewhere else and you do not lock in your spot now, there's a very good chance that the school you want to go to or the opportunities that are available to you will not be available going forward forward after this week and so that's why we've seen so much craziness in the transfer portal that is why uh, all these players are coming and going but as I've said now for the third time Let's get to the real topic of the day, and the topic of the day is that Spencer Rattler is one of those players that is in the transfer portal, far, former starting quarterback at Oklahoma. Rattler enters the portal after the regular season. He has lost the job to Caleb Williams, and on Monday night, Spencer Rattler made his transfer decision, and he ended up at, drumroll please, I love doing this knowing that you guys have known for 36 hours where Spencer Rattler is going, but Spencer Rattler former number one quarterback in the high school class of 2019. He has committed to the University of South Carolina. Interestingly enough, he is not the only high-profile former Oklahoma player who has committed to South Carolina as Austin Stogner, a really solid tight end at Oklahoma for the last two years. Six touchdown catches over the last two seasons, actually committed to South Carolina as well. And for people who don't know the tie there, uh, Shane Beamer, the current Oklahoma head, or the current South Carolina head coach, he was at Oklahoma for many years before taking the South Carolina job. And so when Shane Beamer, who had been at Oklahoma, uh, got that job, and when Spencer Rattler hit the transfer portal the way that he did over the last couple weeks, South Carolina was always deemed to be a reasonable fit for Spencer Rattler. It was always a spot that people thought he could land at. Now he is. Now he's going to be a South Carolina Gamecock. And let's discuss, let's debate, because I really do think in a lot of ways, this is kind of a best case scenario for both sides. Let's start with Spencer Rattler. And with Spencer Rattler, listen, he is the most extreme example of what I always say on this show. In life, say it with me now. I know you know what I'm going to say. Say it with me in the car, at the gym, uh, in the tractor, wherever you're listening to this show. And I know we got one listener at least that loves to listen to this show in his tractor while he's working all day. Say it with me now. In life, two things can be true. And with Spencer Rattler, that might be, Spencer Rattler might be the best case yet 
of two things being possibly true when it comes to life and football and sports. And that's this. On the one hand, Spencer Rattler did not live up to the Oklahoma standard. I'm not going to sit here. I'm not going to defend him. I'm not going to argue that he was as good as Baker Mayfield, as good as Kyler Murray, as good as some of the other quarterbacks in in college football over the last few years. That's not what I'm going to do. And I do understand that when you go to Oklahoma, when you play quarterback at Oklahoma, there is a certain level of expectation no different than playing at Alabama on defense or on Georgia on defense. When, you, when, you're, when you're at Georgia and you play defense, you can't give up 45 points in a game like Georgia did the other day against Alabama. You just can't. There is a different standard and expectation at Georgia. And when it comes to Oklahoma, when you're a quarterback, you are expected to be great. You are expected to be one of the best quarterbacks in college football. You are expected to lead one of the most potent offenses in college football. And Spencer Rattler didn't do that. And so I understand when we are comparing him to Kyler Murray and we are comparing him to Baker Mayfield and we're comparing him to Jalen Hurts, three guys who all were either Heisman finalists or Heisman winners. And on top of that, not only that, but all three made the college football playoff at Oklahoma. I understand that Spencer Rattler did not live up to that expectation. But what can also be true, while Spencer Rattler did not live up to the Oklahoma expectation, he also wasn't nearly as bad as a lot of people remember, okay? And so let's if, just go back and look at what Spencer Rattler has did over the course of his career at Oklahoma. Again, not saying he's Baker Mayfield, not saying he's Joe Burrow, not saying he's Johnny Manziel, but the guy really wasn't as bad as a lot of people think. Last year, COVID year, weird offseason. Remember, there was no spring practice the year before, very limited spring practice. Spencer Rattler, what did he do? Completed 68% of his passes, 3,000 yards, 28 touchdowns, 7 interceptions, and he did it in a season with no spring practice, limited fall practice, COVID, this, that, the other thing. Oh, by the way, as a, as a redshirt sophomore in 2020, leads Oklahoma to a Big 12 title, leads him to a Cotton Bowl win, and while, yes, we all get that the standard at Oklahoma is win the Big 12, go to the college football playoff, and maybe compete for a championship, he didn't live up to it. Again, listen to those stats 20, uh, uh, 68% passing completion percentage, 28 touchdowns, 7 interceptions, 3,000 yards, Big 12 title, 8 straight wins to end the season. Final record of the team was 9-2 and two overall in a COVID year. That is a career year for some people, and Spencer Rattler is considered a disappointment, which makes what happened this year that much crazier. Do you know what Spencer Rattler's stats were this season as the starting quarterback at Oklahoma? I think it's going to blow your mind when I tell you. Spencer Rattler, first of all, started six games at Oklahoma this year. Oklahoma went 6-0 in the games that Spencer Rattler started. Now, granted, one of the games was Texas. He got pulled. Caleb Williams won the game. But at the same time, 6-0 as a starter this year. Uh, Spencer Rattler completed completed 75% of his passes, 1,400 yards, 11 touchdowns. And so think about what I just told you. In two years as a starter, And granted, I understand he's got better talent, he's got great coaching, he's got this and he's got that. And I'm not claiming he's Joe Burrow, I'm not claiming he's Johnny Manziel, I'm not claiming he's Cam Newton. But in two years as a starter at Oklahoma, he went 15-2 as a starter, and on top of that, 39 touchdowns, 12 interceptions, and completed 68% of his passes last year and 75% of his passes. And so why I think this makes sense is this. I don't know if Spencer Rattler is really the first-round pick that he was projected to be. I don't think he's the Heisman Trophy favorite the the way that he was projected to be. You go Even going into next year, you're going to have Bryce Young. You're going to have Caleb Williams. You're going to have Jackson Dart at USC with Lincoln Riley coaching him. There are going to be a lot of players that are probably higher up on those Heisman odds. 
But what we can't deny is that Spencer Rattler wasn't nearly as bad as people remember. And that's why I think South Carolina is a good fit. They are a team, and we'll get into what South Carolina did in the South Carolina perspective from a minute, but they are a team that essentially had no quarterback play at all to speak of this year, finished 13 out of 14 teams in the SEC in passing, and so Spencer Rattler will no longer be compared to Baker Mayfield, uh, Kyler Murray, all those guys when he gets to South Carolina. Instead, you know who he's going to be compared to? The god-awful players at South Carolina over the last year or so, and really a couple years dating back to the Will Muschamp era. And so this is why I think it's a perfect fit for, a perfect fit for Spencer Rattler. He wasn't that bad at, at Oklahoma. I understand that he didn't live up to the expectations of other quarterbacks, but he wasn't that bad. And on top of that, again... He is going to go to a place where just decent quarterback play is good enough. And here's the great thing for Spencer Rattler. If you really are that dude, if you really are that difference maker, well, you're going to be going up against SEC offenses every single, every SEC defenses every single week. Georgia, Florida, Tennessee, uh, maybe you play Alabama, maybe you play Texas A&M. I don't know who they play in the cross-division games. You play Clemson at the end of the year. If you're that dude, if you're good enough, you will get noticed playing at South Carolina. And if you can elevate that program, there's no reason that you can't play yourself back into first overall pick, not first overall pick, but first round pick consideration. On top of that, what I would also say is this. I think it's a really good fit for South Carolina too. I think it's a really good fit for South Carolina. And I really kind of like this program going into year two under Shane Beamer. Remember, South Carolina was a team that I said last year, and I truly believe it that South Carolina was probably the second least talented team in the SEC last year, trailing only Vanderbilt, okay? Will, Will Muschamp left the cupboard completely bare, and you know where it was especially bare at South Carolina? At the quarterback position. We all remember the story. Going into the season, it came down to an FCS quarterback who was expected to win the job. He gets hurt, and then a grad assistant coach who was coming off his career but had one year of eligibility left. You remember this story, right? A grad assistant coach ended up starting week one at South Carolina for that team. And so I bring it up because literally anything other than what, Oak, than what South Carolina had at quarterback last, week, last year is going to be an improvement over what they did have. And so again, Spencer Rattler doesn't have to be great. He just has to be good enough. And he's walking into a team that overachieved last year despite bad quarterback play. I didn't talk about South Carolina much on this show because South Carolina kind of stunk. But they finished 6-6 six and six overall. They beat Auburn second to last week of the season, which was really where like the Auburn fan base really started to get frustrated with Brian Harson. I'm not saying they turned on Brian Harson. I'm not saying he's on the hot seat. What I am saying was Brian Harson was in the good graces of Auburn fans right up until they lost to South Carolina. Oh, by the way, South Carolina also beat Florida, which was basically Dan Mullen's last, uh, that was his last stand. Once he lost to South Carolina, the way that he lost to South Carolina, you kind of do. Like, it's probably over for Dan Mullen. And so you take a team that went 6-6 six and six last season with basically no quarterback play. Now you put in a guy like Spencer Rattler, and I think they have a chance to be pretty decent next year. Not saying they're going 11-1. and one. Not saying they're beating Georgia. Not saying they're going to the SEC championship game, but these are the steps that you have to take as a program, and after going 6-6 six and six in 2021, you had Spencer Rattler, if he's even incrementally better at quarterback than what you had, maybe 6-6 six and six turns into 8-4. and four. And so it'll be really interesting, it'll be really fun to watch, and let me finally just say this about this situation with Spencer Rattler in South Carolina. For all the criticism of the transfer portal, 
And the latest now is Lane Kiffin. We'll talk about it a little bit and where Aaron was right, where Aaron was wrong. But Lane Kiffin had some really uh, not nice things to say about the transfer portal today. He talked about free agency. He talked about guys going to the highest bidder, on and on and on and on and on. But for all the complaints about the transfer portal, isn't this kind of that place? Isn't this kind of this example of why the transfer portal is so great? I mean, in the old days, Spencer Rattler plays his butt off, represents Oklahoma well. Everybody criticizes him. He stays with the team. He's a good soldier. He serves as a backup to Caleb Williams. And when the season ends, he decides to leave. But in the old days, he would have to go somewhere and sit out for a year and be completely forgotten. And then maybe by the next year, he's so far off the radar that he can't play his way back on. Or he has to do the opposite, which is enter the NFL draft and hope that he gets drafted solely on potential as a third, fourth, fifth, sixth round pick. Well, now he gets his chance to handpick where he's going to go, handpick a spot where he has a chance to go in and earn that starting job, and from there, potentially play his way back into the good graces of NFL evaluators, NFL uh, scouts, all of that good stuff. Will he be the, the first-round quarterback? I don't think so. But it's not inconceivable, and he will have the opportunity. And I also think it's great for South Carolina, right? They had a few quarterbacks. It didn't work out. Some are leaving. Some are staying. Whatever. But the guys on the roster had their shot. And so now if you're South Carolina, if you're Shane Beamer, I talked about this uh, the other episode with, 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 with Steve Sarkeesian. If Shane Beamer doesn't have the opportunity to go out and get a quarterback in the transfer portal, he's in some deep, 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 you know what, going into next season. Then all of a sudden maybe six and six becomes five and seven. It becomes four and eight. Now maybe he's coaching for his job in year three. Well, now he has that quarterback. He doesn't have to try to develop a true freshman. He doesn't have to develop a guy that was in the program that he inherited from Will Muschamp that isn't good enough. He doesn't have to hope a freshman comes in and plays out of his mind. He now has that one-year stopgap, maybe two if Spencer Rattler wants to stay another year because of the COVID year, but he has that one-year stopgap to kind of figure out the quarterback position, to get a freshman in, to let the freshman learn, to not put too much pressure on that kid, and he go from there. And so I know we like to criticize the transfer portal, and I know we like to complain, and I know we like to say that the transfer portal stinks and it's terrible for everybody and all that stuff. I've talked about the transfer portal forever on this show. I've come full circle. I accept that it is what it is, but this is kind of the perfect example. Kid had the opportunity, lost the opportunity. The better player won the job at Oklahoma. He was patient. He bided his time. He, was, he did right by the program. He waited till the end of the season. Now he gets a fresh start, and South Carolina gets a fresh start as well. I'm rooting for the kid. I wish him luck. I want to see how it goes. I hope it works out well for him. There is one other football topic I do want to get to, and boy, oh boy, is it a juicy one. And the thing about college football, football in general, what we love about college football, I think in some ways more than the games on the field, is the rumors of it all. Is this coach going to get fired? Is this coach going to replace him? Is this recruit going to do this? Why did this coach get fired? What's going on there? What's the secret there? There's got to be a story there. That is what college football is basically one big game of phone, one big game of uh, phone tag, where you're just trying to evaluate which rumors are true and which rumors are false. And so there has been a rumor out there for about three, four, five weeks that we have not touched on. Um, and I haven't talked about it because it's just kind of something that's kind of out there. But on Sunday, we got something of a substantiated report, and so I do want to discuss it. Because on Sunday, CBS Sports NFL insider Jason LaConfora, one of the most well-respected NFL people uh, going, put out the rumor that we have long heard. That the Chicago Bears, who are soon going to be looking for a head coach, that they have one target in mind and one target only. And that man is, are you ready for this? Ohio State head coach Ryan Day. Is it going to happen? Is it not going to happen? I do not know. But 
This has been talked about for a long time. The Jason Lockenfora report specifically referenced that uh, it could be a package deal. Ryan Day's agent is a guy named Trace Armstrong who actually played for the Chicago Bears. Maybe Trace Armstrong comes in some sort of player personnel front office role. He brings Ryan Day with him. But there is enough here that it feels like we can at least talk about it. Trace Armstrong has since denied the report. It's worth noting. But as I always say, when something is out there long enough, there's always at least a chance that it is at least possibly true. Go back to Lincoln Riley. Go back to Brian Kelly for years. We've been hearing the guy wants out of Notre Dame. He's not going to retire at Notre Dame. What happens? And so this is another spicy meatball of a rumor. Let's get into it. Let's break it down. And what's especially interesting about this one is this. I have two really good contacts around the Ohio State football program. I talk to them regularly, great friends, people I respect. And I've gotten two very different answers when I asked about this Ryan Day stuff. One says, yeah, he thinks there's some likes to it. The other one says, I don't see it at all. I don't think it's going to happen. And so let's break it down. Let's talk about it. Let's kind of explain why in some ways it makes sense, in some ways it doesn't. In terms of why it makes sense for Ryan Day, I think it's pretty straightforward, right? First of all, he does have an NFL background. While he did start at the college level, he coached at Temple, he coached at Boston College, he coaches a bunch of different places. He really kind of made his name in the NFL uh, as the quarterback's coach under Chip Kelly over the last uh, over a couple of years when Chip Kelly was in the NFL. He spent a year with Chip Kelly in Philadelphia. He then followed Chip Kelly to San Francisco. And while the teams did not have a ton of success, in part just because they didn't have the right quarterbacks, Ryan Day, that is really where he established himself as a developer of quarterbacks and a very smart offensive mind and what ultimately led to him getting hired at Ohio State. So while we think of Ryan Day as a college coach, he does have an NFL background. He is comfortable in that space, and it's always kind of been believed. There could be a possibility at some point that if Ryan Day does pursue something outside of Ohio State, it would be in the NFL. It's also worth noting that if Ryan Day is going to give up a great job, and Ohio State is a great job, well, he's only going to do it for what? One, two, three, four places. It's going to be in the NFL. He's not leaving for another college job. At least I can't imagine. I would have said the same thing about Lincoln Riley a month ago. But uh, he's probably not going to leave. He's going to leave for the NFL. And if you're going to leave for a leave a great college job for any NFL job, you better make sure you can go in and have success right away. Well, why the Chicago Bears is so spicy of a meatball is because of the fact that, of course, the Chicago Bears have a really good young quarterback. His name is Justin Fields. Justin Fields, Ryan Day, got a little history together, went to the national championship game and two college football playoffs playing together, working together, whatever. And so obviously there's a comfort there, there's a level of uh, whatever, and it just makes sense that if Ryan Day is going to go, this is a great spot kind of in the footprint that he already is with a quarterback that he's comfortable with, and if he believes that Justin Fields is as good as we all think he believes Justin Fields is, then it's a match made in heaven, and he obviously believes that he if he goes to Chicago, it means that he believes that Justin Field can be an elite quarterback and be the kind of quarterback that keeps him in the NFL for a very long time. Finally, what I would say in terms of why he might go, like college football is changing really quick, man, and we're going to talk about the, Lincoln, uh, the, the Lane Kiffin comments where Aaron was right, where Aaron was wrong. This thing is a grind now. This thing is a grind in college football. You get no free time. You coach all season. Then the second the season ends, you get on the road recruiting. Then you got to re-recruit your players out of the transfer portal. Then you got to get ready for a bowl game. Then after the bowl game, you got to go out and close out your recruiting class. Then from there, you of course have spring ball, you have spring recruiting, you have like a week off in the summer, and then it's right back to getting going again in August and September. And so these college coaches, I just don't know how many of these guys want to do this 
for a, a long extended period of time. Ryan Day's young. He's got plenty of energy, all that good stuff. But coaching college football is a total grind. Um, and I think nothing. In, I think what we learned this offseason, nothing in college football lasts forever. We all thought that Lincoln Riley was going to be at Oklahoma as long as he wanted. If he ever left, it would only be for the NFL, maybe the Dallas Cowboys. Well, guess what? Lincoln Riley's now the head coach at USC. Brian Kelly never going to leave. Sat be at Notre Dame. Nope. Brian Kelly left Notre Dame for LSU. And so I think these coaches are getting smarter now and realizing it only takes one bad year to fall out of favor with people. It only takes one bad year for people to be frustrated with me. Look at what happened with Dan Mullen, which again, I've justified. I understand why it happened. Look at Coach O. And the great thing about Ohio State is they give you everything you want to win. The bad part about Ohio State is that you are expected to win. And a season like this, 10-2, and two, you don't win the Big Ten, you don't beat Michigan, it's considered a disaster that needs to be torn down and built up again. And so maybe Ryan Day is just like, dude, I, I, I got to work 365 days a year. I lose one game. I, they want to throw me out. Like, I'm just done with this. And so that would be the argument for why Ryan Day would consider leaving. NFL background, Justin Fields, and this college coaching thing is a grind. I will say, independent of Ryan Day, I just don't think we're going to get guys that stay in jobs for 10, 15, 20 years anymore. I really don't. I think Nick Saban's going to be kind of the last of, of that group, obviously at, at maybe a smaller scale like a Kirk Ferentz at uh, Iowa. That's one thing. But it is such a grind. It is so tough. The expectations are so high at so many places. I just think most guys are going to do their five, six, seven years and move on to the next thing like Lincoln Riley did. Brian Kelly was there obviously a little bit longer. Just bounce and do something different. I also think there's a very compelling argument for Ryan Day to stay, and I will say if I was handicapping this, and we'll talk about it at the end, I actually think Ryan Day will be the head coach at Ohio State next season, and the reasons why are pretty obvious. I think, first of all, he is not acting like a man that is planning on leaving Ohio State anytime soon. He is flying across the country. He is closing out on an elite top two, top three, top four recruiting class in the country. They are recruiting at a national level. They are bringing in players that even under Urban, like, like Urban Meyer built the infrastructure and in recruiting, Ryan Day has elevated it to an even other level. Ryan Day is getting literally basically any skill position player he wants. Last year, Travion Henderson, number one running back in college, in high school football, Ohio State. Top wide receiver in 2020, uh, Julian Fleming. 2021, Emeka Ubeka, uh, Emeka Egbuka, excuse me. Uh, Ohio State guys. And so the way that he is recruiting, the the level that he's recruiting, of course, he had Quinn Ewers, lost Quinn Ewers, but getting quarterbacks, getting skill position guys, now he's getting defensive guys. Um, you know, he is recruiting as a man that plans to be there for a while, and he shook up his coaching staff this offseason. I mean, if Ryan Day was planning on leaving, I guess in theory he would have to kind of shake up the coaching staff after what happened against Michigan. But at the same time, you bring in a brand new defensive coordinator over the last couple weeks, when you're planning on leaving in 10 or 11, it just doesn't, it doesn't make any sense to me. And so I think you have that factor. I think you have the fact that, that for all the microscope that Ohio State is, it is still, like if Ohio State's not the best job in college football, it's top two or top three. And it's really funny because I was talking to somebody about this earlier this week. There's a lot of schools in college football that think that they are doing everything they can to win at the highest level. But at the end of the day, they're really not. They're cutting corners. Maybe that facility upgrade's coming a little bit slower. Maybe the, the pool for assistant coaches isn't quite what it needs to be. At Ohio State, they literally give you every single thing you need to succeed. You need, uh, uh, you need to pay your, your defensive coordinator $2 million a year? Pay him $2 million a year. You need to bring in uh, specialist analysts? You do that. Uh, it was interesting this year. 
literally they 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 brought uh, their their defensive coordinator to start the year, Kerry Coombs. They took him off of defensive play calling and just made him what they call kind of a walk around coach. So your defensive coordinator isn't even coordinating your defense anymore, and that's okay at Ohio State. Just win, baby. And so I do think Ryan Day probably has an appreciation for, yeah, this job is really tough, but they are giving me every single tool to win. I have this elevated and at, at a really, really, really high level. And yes, I lost to, to Michigan this year. Yes, that's unacceptable with my fan base. But man, oh man, I still feel good where this program is at and where it's going. Uh, finally, I would just say, you know, younger guy, early 40s, and he does have like family consideration. I mean, three young kids. I believe his son is sort of at about the age where he's going to go to high school. Um, and so I, I just look at it, and I do think that to, to shake this thing up, to go to the NFL where you're hired to eventually be fired, and I know Ryan Day's great, and I know Justin Fields is great, but you know, do you really want to start with a young family bouncing around the country two, three, you know, two, three, four years down the road? It doesn't work in Chicago. Justin Fields twists an ankle, can't play for a few weeks to get fired. Like, I don't know if that's what Ryan Day wants. So what I would say is if I was handicapping it, I would venture to guess that Ryan Day will still be the head coach at Ohio State. What I would also say, and this is something that can only happen at Ohio State, if Ryan Day were to leave, it does kind of feel like there's a pretty easy transition for Luke Fickle, right? I mean, Luke Fickle, look, you know, we were kind of wondering, was he going to leave for Notre Dame? Was that really a possibility? Um, And then you start to realize, Cincinnati's going to make the playoff. He's not leaving prior to the playoff to take the Notre Dame job. But Ohio State, if Ryan Day leaves for the Chicago Bears, it's going to be after the the NFL season. I don't think the Bears are hiring a coach before the season is over. And so the NFL season ends kind of the early to middle part of January. There's obviously the extra week this week this year because of the uh, you know because of the week the 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 extra week added to the NFL schedule. And so the Chicago Bears, when you look at the Bears, the Bears season in 2021-2022, it does not end until January 9th. So they they won't be making a coaching change until January 9th. Well, guess what? You know what January 10th is? The day of the national championship game. So Cincinnati almost certainly is not going to make the national championship, but even if they did, uh, Ryan Day is going to be getting, uh, the the Bears are going to be firing their head coach right around the time that Ryan, that the national championship game would be being played. And so look, Luke Fickle, you know, does he want to go back to Ohio State? I don't know. Does he want to stay at Cincinnati? I don't know. But what I would say, it'd be kind of a perfect moment in time for Luke Fickle because he wouldn't have to worry about leaving before the playoff. He wouldn't have to worry about this, that, the other thing. He could just leave. He could say it's his dream job. He had it once. He wants it again. Um, And so that would be my obvious guess if Ryan Day were to leave. But as I said, just kind of reading the tea leaves, talking to smart people, I don't think it's going to happen, but it's going to be out there. I'm just telling you, it's going to be out there until the Chicago Bears hire a new head coach. I just want to do, I want to take a quick break. I want to come back. I want to play America's favorite game where Aaron was right, where Aaron was wrong. I will be right back. All right, we're going to get to where Aaron was right, where Aaron was wrong in just one minute. I do want to welcome back our favorite sponsor, and your lady's favorite sponsor. Yeah, I'm talking about Manscaped, the worldwide leader in men's below-the-waist grooming. Christmas is coming, and they have some great new gifts for the special man in your life, including, besides just the -the below-the-waist stuff, how about two-in-one shampoo, body wash? They both smell amazing. Fellas, get it. Your lady will not be able to keep her hands off of you. Ladies, you get it. You won't be able to keep your hands off your man. Here's the best part, though. 
If you use promo code Torres, you get an incredible deal just for listeners of the Aaron Torres pod. 20% off plus free shipping. Ladies, as I always tell you, the code works for you too. Get your man that special Christmas gift. Before we get to the body wash of two of one shampoo, I should mention, by the way, uh, Let's get back to the, the, the below-the-waist stuff, right? The Performance Package 4.0, which is not just the trimmer, but a bunch of other products that come with it. And here's the bottom line, fellas. We've all used the other products, and it never works out well. Nick's Cut Snags, awful. Don't have to worry about it with Manscaped, especially the Performance Package 4.0, which comes with the signature Lawnmower 4.0, an electric trimmer with proprietary advanced skin-safe technology to get all those tough-to-reach places. Fellas, you know what I'm talking about. The best part it is waterproof. You can bring it in the shower. Don't have to leave a mess on the floor. Don't have to get yelled at. All thanks to Manscaped, manscaped.com, promo code Taurus. In addition to the Lawnmower 4.0, the Performance Package 4.0 also comes with the Crop Preserver and Crop Reviver, an anti-chafing ball deodorant, moisturizer, and toner. It's time to keep your North Pole feeling fresh and smelling fresh, fellas, again. You know what I'm talking about. Finally, the Performance Package 4.0 comes with anti-chafing boxers that leave your junk feeling fresh all day. As I like to say, the perfect package for your package. Beyond that, though, let's get to the new stuff. Because Manscaped, basically, this, this winter, they said, look, it can't just be about men's below-the-waist grooming. That is really important. That's what you get the Performance Package 4.0 for. But how about above the waist? How about we keep them smelling nice? How about we get that hair feeling tingly? Well, that's exactly what Manscaped has done uh, with the Ultra Premium Body Wash. This stuff smells good. It smells incredible. Your lady will not be able to keep your hands off, off of you. And on top of that, I just mentioned your hair feeling tingly. That's the good part. They now have two-in-one shampoo and conditioner. Get it for your friends. Get it for your family. It smells incredible. It's hydrating. It makes your hair feel fresh. I am telling you, I've been using this stuff. The ladies, well, one lady can't keep her hands off me. You know who that is, my special lady in my life. Manscaped.com. Make sure you use promo code Taurus. Here's the last part, too, by the way. Manscaped right now, the entire website has a 20% off plus free shipping. So I do need, do need you to do me a favor. When you go there, when you get your performance package 4.0, when you get your two-in-one body shampoo, and by the way, I'll mention this. I bought the body shampoo, or I bought the body wash. I bought the two-in-one shampoo for friends, family, loved ones. It's a great gift. It smells good. Get it, manscaped.com. What I was saying was this, though, is that the, the website currently has a 20% off plus free shipping promo. So make sure on that last page, when you get to checkout and they give you the site-wide promo, click out of that, then add promo code Torres so that I get credit for sending you because, again, Manscaped loves us. Torres loves you. Manscaped.com. I'm telling you, the body wash and shampoo are incredible. They got new cologne. It's not just about the waist, below the waist anymore. You get a little embarrassed. You don't want to get a trimmer. You don't want to do this. You should get the Performance Package 4.0. But if you don't want to, cologne, body wash, shampoo, two-in-one. It's great. Manscaped.com, promo code Torres. Your balls will thank you. Your body will thank you. Your hair will thank you. And most importantly, Aaron Torres will thank you. Now let's get back to the show. All right, everybody, I am back. Good to be back, good to be back. First of all, thank you again to Manscaped. Great partner, great sponsor, manscaped.com. Use promo code TORS. I'm telling you, fellas, not telling you what to do, but that shampoo smells good, man. That cologne smells good. Not telling you what to do, promo code TORS, 20% off. With that said, let's wrap with what is quickly becoming America's favorite segment on America's favorite podcast, where Aaron was right, where Aaron was wrong. And if you listen to the show regularly, concept is pretty simple. Yes, I stole this from my buddy Colin Cowherd. Been on with Colin many times. But 
Over the course of doing this show three times a week, hour plus three times a week, I get a lot of stuff right. And nobody loves patting themselves on the back more than your boy Taurus. Oh my God, Taurus, Taurus said this, Taurus said that, I told you this, I told you that. But then there's also quite a few things, boy, oh boy, oh boy, do I get wrong. And so rather than just pretending like I I bat a thousand percent on my opinions and I bat, no, I get plenty of stuff wrong too. And sometimes I need a little slap on the wrist. I need to be put in timeout. I need to be told you are wrong. And so with that, let's get to where Aaron was right, where Aaron was wrong. Where Aaron was right. Did you see Lane Kiffin's comments on NIL and on the transfer portal? Here is what Lane Kiffin said on Tuesday about NIL and the transfer portal. I don't think people really say it this way, Kiffin said, but let's not make a mistake. We have free agency in college football. The kids a lot of times go to where they're going to get paid the most. No one else is saying that, maybe, but the kids say, this is what I'm getting here from name, image, likeness. And so look, to be abundantly clear, I have never said I am against name, image, likeness. I've never said kids don't deserve to make a little money off off the field, off the court, whatever. I've said it many times. When I say manscaped.com promo code Torres, I am using my name, image, likeness. So if I can use my name, image, likeness, there is no reason that a college athlete, million Instagram followers, whatever, should not be able to do the same. My thoughts on the transfer portal have been very clear from the beginning. I never thought we needed the one-time transfer rule. I always thought if the coach that recruited you left for another school or got fired, you should be able to to leave without sitting out. And if you just want to leave, then you should have to sit out for a year. Obi Toppin sat out for a year because of grades, didn't affect him. Malachi Flynn, really good NBA player, sat out for a year, didn't affect him. Duncan Robinson sat out for a year, didn't affect him. Baker Mayfield, you know, you go on down the list. Kyler Murray sat out for a year. And so why I'm bringing where Aaron was right, where Aaron was wrong, is I said, look, I, at some point you just have to accept that this is the new world of college sports that we live in, but there are going to be unintended consequences, and especially with name, image, likeness. I just said, look, the NCAA is going to try to claim that it's not pay for play. How can it not be pay for play? And so, yes, now you have situations like Quinn Ewers. Now you have situations like other guys that are choosing schools strictly because of NIL, worrying about on the field, court, basket, whatever. They're worrying about all that stuff after, and they're worrying about where they can make the most money. I'm not saying it's right. I'm not saying it's wrong. It is the American way. It's capitalism. I get it. But I told you from the beginning, all these poor college kids. Listen, college kids are living good. Go ahead and go to uh, Alabama football, Ohio State football, USC football, UCLA basketball, Kentucky basketball. These kids are living good. And so I have no problem, but I told you from the beginning. There was going to be unintended consequences. The, the recruiting was going to change forever. Um, transfer portal was going to affect high school kids. We saw it in college basketball. Now we see guys like Tom Luganbill from ESPN talking about the impact that it's having on high school football players who can't get scholarships. I've never been against NIL. I was never in favor of the one-time transfer rule, but there were always unintended consequences, and there was Lane Kiffin talking about it today. Where Aaron was wrong. How about Michigan football? So last week I talked about Michigan football where Aaron was right because I really felt like, okay, I said back in, I don't know, mid-late September, early October, Michigan has a chance to be really good. But I also said after the Michigan State game, I said Michigan will never win a game that matters under Jim Harbaugh. I said it. I owned it. Uh, Yeah, I was wrong on that. 
I said Michigan State was going to lose to that Michigan State was going to lose to Ohio State. They were going to finish ten and two, and Michigan fans were going to be completely unsatisfied coming out of this year. Instead, Michigan beats Ohio State. Ohio State is ten and two. They're completely unsatisfied. Michigan is going to the college football playoff. And I'll say this: I really do think, and we'll talk college football playoff next week. If Georgia is not willing to make that quarterback change, if Georgia is not willing to put Stetson Bennett on the bench and put JT Daniels in, I believe Michigan can win this game and play for a national championship likely against Alabama. So you talk about being wrong. After the Michigan State game, I came on here and I said, Michigan will never win a game that matters under Jim Harbaugh. Since then beat Ohio State, since then won a Big Ten title. I think they have a real chance to beat Georgia in the national semifinal. Where Aaron was right. How about my boy Quinn Ewers? And listen, I get a lot of stuff wrong, but no lie, you can go on my Twitter timeline. Within three minutes of him announcing that he was leaving, of Pete Thamel making that official report that he was leaving Ohio State, I said he is going to Texas and he is going to be their week one starter next year. Now, in terms of week one starter, it remains to be seen. But at the same time, I told you it was going to be Texas. It was always going to be Texas and it was never going to be anybody else. And it was really simple. Whether it was done two months ago, whether it was done two days ago, The bottom line is, remember, this was a kid that went to Ohio State a year early explicitly for NIL money. Most of the, all these kids say it's a business decision. For Quinn Ewers, it really was a business decision, and he wasn't going anywhere other than a place that he could start right away, because remember, you don't start at some point the NIL dollars are going to stop rolling in, and a place where you can maximize NIL opportunities. And so I got Texas Tech fans all mad at me this weekend. You want to see a dumpster fire? Go to my Twitter feed. Uh, type in Aaron Torres, Texas Tech. I got former basketball players tweeting at me. I got former Texas Tech football players tweeting at me. You don't know what you're talking about. He was, was going to be a Red Raider. No, he wasn't. He was going to Austin because it's the most money, the most opportunity, the biggest boosters, the biggest paychecks, the biggest whatever. And by the way, he's going to start, okay? It might not be official. He might not even be the best quarterback come the start of the season. Casey Thompson, for what it's worth, led the Big 12 in passing touchdowns. But it was always going to be Texas because he needed to go home. He needed to go to a place where there were real NIL opportunities. He wasn't waiting another year behind C.J. Stroud. And Texas and Steve Sarkeesian needs a win. They need a public win. They need a, 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 a big, bold headline to be successful. And Quinn Ewers, whether he's the best quarterback on that roster or not, he is going to start week one for Texas. Because imagine if you roll out Casey Thompson and you lose that game if you're Steve Sarkeesian. Quinn Ewers was always going to Texas. He's going to be the week one starter. I was right on the first part. I will be right on the second part. But I nailed this recruitment from the beginning. Where Aaron was wrong. Let's switch to college basketball. And you talk about something. I don't know the last time I was more wrong on anything to do with college basketball. Coming into the season, I listen, I do all my prep work and top 25 this and conference preview that. And I said, I, I, I think the Big, the big East is going to be a little bit down. And I think it's basically, a, a, it's two teams and everybody else. Villanova's really good. I think UConn's really good. And then it's just kind of a bunch of meh. Well, boy, was I wrong. Because there has been no conference. You can argue the Big 12 is better. You could argue the SEC is better. There has been no conference with more impressive wins early than the Big East. Providence, 10-1. and They won at Wisconsin. They beat Texas Tech, who's a really good team. They have had a ton of success early. Seton Hall, 9-1. and They're only lost to Ohio State at the buzzer in a game where their best player, Miles Kale, got hurt early in the game and did not return. They've already won at Michigan. They beat Texas at home. Xavier is really good. They they beat Ohio State. They beat Cincinnati in the Crosstown shootout this weekend. Even DePaul is good. DePaul just won at Louisville. 
And so where Aaron was wrong, I thought this was a two-bid league. I thought this was two teams, and then it was a bunch of meh. This is a conference that I think is getting a minimum of six NCAA tournament bids. And I really think outside of Georgetown, which ironically won the league last year, just about everybody's good. And oh, by the way, Georgetown just beat Syracuse this weekend. So every single team can play. Every single night it is going to be a war. And boy, oh boy, oh boy, was I wrong on the Big East. Where Aaron was right. So this is kind of one for the OG, old school Aaron Torres Sports Podcast listeners, okay? Because... The first year that I did this podcast, that it was really like going, right? Like the, the, the show had started. It was the first full season uh, uh, that I did it. It was the year that Zion Williamson was at Duke. And that year, if you remember, obviously it was a great year for Zion. It was a great year for Duke. But going into the NBA draft, what were the conversations? The conversation was, he's got to lose weight. But here was the other conversation. The other conversation was, well, just give him a little time with an NBA strength and conditioning staff. Give him a little time with an NBA nutrition staff. He'll, he'll, that weight will fall right off of him. And remember what I said? I said, do you guys understand how college sports works? Because, look, you can criticize college sports for a lot of different things, especially in the pre-NIL era. But the one thing you cannot criticize a program like Duke, a program like Ohio State football, a program like Alabama, a program like Kentucky basketball, Kansas basketball, Arkansas, you go on down the list. The one thing you cannot criticize for, they are not lacking in facilities, in resources, in strength and conditioning, and in nutrition. I said it at the time, and I was right. Duke basketball, I guarantee you, has a better strength and conditioning program, a better strength and conditioning staff, and a better nutrition staff than a big chunk of the NBA. At Duke, Duke basketball is exactly what I just said about Ohio State football. No expenses spared. If Coach K decides he needs a fourth waterfall in his basketball facility because John Calipari just got his fourth waterfall, you better believe Coach K is getting a check that day. Same with Ohio State football, same with Bama football, same with LSU football, same with Kentucky basketball, same with Kansas basketball. What I said was enough with the idea that Zion Williamson is going to be in some amazing strength and conditioning program that he wasn't in at Duke. Well, unfortunately, the injuries continue. Zion can't keep off the weight. At this point, he has actually missed more games since his NBA career started than he's played in. I hope I'm wrong. I hope he gets healthy. I hope he has a great NBA career. We all love watching him play, and he averaged 27 points as a second-year player last year. But I told you from the beginning, the idea that he was just magically going to lose 40 pounds because he was in an NBA strength and conditioning program, it never made sense. And that is one where, unfortunately, Aaron was right. Where Aaron was wrong, if you remember, coming into the season, there were 10 AP top 10 teams just like there are every year. Nine of them were also in my top 10 of the AT top 25 coming into the season. The one that was outside the top 10 was Baylor. Now, I had him at number 11, so it's not like I had him at unranked or 22 or 24 or whatever. But I said, I like Baylor, but I like Duke more. I like Kentucky more. I like Gonzaga more. I like Texas more. I like UCLA more. Well, I looked up this week. And Baylor's the number one team in the country. Now, I'll be honest. I don't think Baylor's better than last year. I think they're different than last year. I think the wings are bigger. I think the wings are more athletic. They don't shoot as well. They don't score as effortlessly as last year. But you talk about a sport where there are no dominant teams this year in college basketball. Baylor's as good as any of them. I don't know if Baylor's the best team, but you put them on a neutral court against Gonzaga, they're going to give them fits. You put them on a neutral court against Duke, they're going to give them fits. You put them on a neutral court against Villanova, we saw what happened. And so where Aaron was wrong, I just did not think this Baylor team would be this good. Uh, but they're awesome, and I give them a ton of credit. Where Aaron was right, Gonzaga. I so in my uh, in the 
lead up to the season, you can go back and listen. I did a College Hoops preview show the day before the season started. And I said, pick a team that I believe will be most disappointing. And I said Gonzaga. And I said, look, Gonzaga's not going to be disappointing in the way we think of disappointing teams. But I do think this was a program that for years, every year, 38-2, and 38-1, and one, last year, went into the uh, national championship game undefeated. I said, look, this is going to be a team that is disappointing by Gonzaga standards, which means they'll lose two or three games in the out-of-conference. They'll enter the NCAA tournament at 33-4 and four instead of 34-1. and one. Um, And they're good, but I don't think they're that much better than everybody else when they came into the season as the definitive number one team in the country. Well, fast forward, we're five weeks into the year. What's happened? Gonzaga's awesome. They beat Texas. They destroyed UCLA. But they also lost to Alabama. They also lost to Duke. And this is a good team. This is probably somewhere in the... uh, There's probably five, six, seven teams that are all about the same atop the sport. I think Gonzaga's in that short conversation, but they were never the definitive number one team in the country like everybody made them out to be. I think they're good. I don't think they are game-changing. All right, I think that's it for this segment of the Aaron Torres Sports Podcast. I'm going to get out of here, but it's not going to be in the way that I usually do. We haven't had very many guests on this show lately, but I do have a very fun guest that I do think you're going to enjoy. That is former Kansas State coach Bill Snyder, okay? Bill Snyder has a new book out. It's awesome. I've gotten a chance to read a little bit of it. But Bill Snyder joins the Aaron Torres Sports Podcast, and you just talk about a fun interview with a college football icon. This is the one. Great guy, great coach, all about the fundamental. It's just a really fun interview. I, I know I don't do a ton of guests anymore on the Aaron Torres Sports Podcast, but when Bill Self, uh, Bill Snyder was offered to me, imagine Bill Self, that'd be awesome. Uh, when Bill Snyder was offered to me, this was just something I could not say no to. So that is all for this segment of the Aaron Torres Sports Podcast. I want to thank you guys for listening. Apple, Spotify, Google Music, Amazon Music, iTunes. Make sure you're subscribed. Make sure to rate and review. Also, make sure to be following on social media at Aaron underscore Torres on Twitter, at Aaron Torres Pod on Instagram, Aaron Torres Podcast Questions at gmail.com if you have any questions for the show, Aaron Torres Podcast Questions at gmail.com if you have any questions for the show. That is all for this segment. I will be back on Friday, but now let's get to the guest of honor, very special guest, very fun interview. Here is former Kansas State head coach, Hall of Famer, Bill Snyder. All right, joining me via Zoom, very excited for this guest. He is the Hall of Fame football coach, two-time Big 12 champ, and the co-author of the new book, My Football Life and the Rest of the Story, which is now available wherever you get your books. Coach Bill Snyder. Coach, how are you doing today? Well, I'm doing fine, Aaron. How about yourself? I'm doing fantastic. I'm doing fantastic. I appreciate you making some time. First of all, how is uh, retired life? I mean, I know you still go to games. I'm sure you watch on TV. I know you have grandkids and great grandkids. How are you enjoying uh, the, the post-coaching days? Well, I've, uh, I'm enjoying my time, uh, but I'm, I'm tremendously busy. Sure. I've stayed that way, but uh, that's by choice as well, because I'm, I'm not very good if I'm not, uh, not doing something. So, uh, Yes, busy, but uh, enjoyable time. Fantastic. Tell us a little bit about the book. I mean, as I mentioned, it is called My Football Life and the Rest of the Story. Uh, I, I have a copy with me, um, but what, what went into it? Why did you decide to do it? Uh, is it about, you know, your, your kids, your grandkids? Your, like, like what went into it and what made you decide you wanted to kind of share your, your story and coach? 
Well, I knew at, uh, at some time uh, we would probably have to do it. We'd, uh, we'd done several books before, but they were kind of piecemeal and a little bit of this, a little bit of that. Uh, and I thought, uh, you know, just the life story was something we were going to have to do. And a, a fellow that had written one of the other books by the name of Scott Fritchen, who wrote this book, uh, had just been... Uh, uh, released from the position that he was in. He was in a writing position and they uh, didn't have enough funds. And so he got released. And so I thought, well, this is probably the time to do it uh, to help him and get food on his table. So we, uh, we got together and decided to do it. And it was an easy process. You know, we just, when we had time together, we would, uh, uh, meet up at the, the suite at the stadium and uh, you know he would ask questions and uh, I would throw out topics and we just converse and he would record it all and then uh, write the story from there and he he did a nice job of that and it's about it's really kind of a life story for the most part and it takes me all the way back to when I was a very young child and the time spent with my uh, with my mother I was a uh, only child of a single parent. My folks had been divorced when I was very young. And so it just takes, takes us all the way through my, uh, uh, my youth and, and my career. When you look back, when, when you started looking back on your career for this book, I mean, what stood out? Like, like, what are the things that when you're in it every day, you're not thinking about or you're not aware of? And then when you have a chance to, to peel back the layers, to talk to somebody about it, to reflect on the big games, all that stuff, what were some things that maybe you'd either forgotten or you, you had kind of put to the side that kind of were re, rethought about as this process continued? Well, I think one of the things that always comes to mind is, uh, first and foremost, is my mother <clears throat> who raised me and uh, did so in an unbelievable way. And it was just uh, absolutely, was an amazing woman. and still the most significant person ever in my life in regards to uh, being able to give me guidance and direction because uh, I could easily have gone a different way. Uh, the, uh, you know, as far as uh, the, the coaching aspect, it was something I, uh, I guess I always knew that I was going to do. My mother uh, hand carried me down to the YMCA when I was in the first or second grade, uh, or maybe third grade it was, and uh, she had, uh, she worked at a department store, and she worked long, hard hours just to support me, and we moved into downtown St. Joseph, Missouri, an apartment, a one-room apartment, you know, not one bedroom, just one room, and she uh, therefore could walk to work. She never drove a car in her, in her life, so uh, she had to do something with me, and so she took me over to the YMCA and said, my son will be here at such and such a time, and he's to leave at such and such a time to come home when I'm there, and if he is a minute late, then you call me, and I will take care of it. <laughs> She's, uh, she was, and did, she was the most dynamic woman. My mother was four foot, nine inches tall, wow. never, never, ever weighed a hundred pounds in her life. I think the heaviest she was was 89 pounds. And uh, yet she was the strongest, uh, willed strongest person I've ever, ever known in my life. And that was good for me. 
Fantastic. Let's talk a little bit about your, your coaching career. Um, you know, I think there's, there's people of a certain age that uh, only know Kansas State as, as a, a really solid across-the-board college football program. Um, you know, many of us remember your championship teams and a decade ago, 2000, uh, you know, 1998, excuse me, and, and the teams in the early 2000s, et cetera. Uh, you know, you, you forget, you don't forget, but some people forget what the program was like uh, when you took over. And uh, it was interesting just doing some research. I'd forgotten. Apparently, there was a Sports Illustrated article written, Futility You was the headline. Uh, it was really in really, really, really bad shape. So what do you remember about those early days at Kansas State? Because like I said, I think college football fans of a certain age probably don't realize what the program was like when you took over in the late 1980s. Well, uh, Kansas State was the losingest football program in the history of college football. Wow. It was the only program at that time to ever have lost 500 or more football games. There was not a player in the program at the time that had ever participated in a game in which they had won wow. at Kansas State. Uh, there were, uh, unbeknownst to me, but when I got here, that was when you could have 95 on scholarship. Uh, there were 45. Wow. We were less than 50% scholarship at the time, and you can't make those up all in one time. You have to you know, piece it together. It took us. Uh, probably 12 years or so, 10 or 12 years in order to get close to uh, the maximum amount that you could uh, could have. Uh, facilities were uh, horrible. We wouldn't show the facilities to recruits when they came. Uh, we shared with them that, you know, they were bad and we didn't, you know, we didn't, uh, we didn't hide the fact that we had poor facilities. You know, we just, we told them they were poor and but they were going to change, and and they did, you know, over a period of uh, period of time. It was, uh, you know, a school that uh, they had no money. Uh, Steve Miller was the athletic director, and Steve uh, promised me to a very uh, dynamic individual, and he promised everything I asked for, you know. And I didn't ask for salary; I asked for facilities and some other things that would assist uh, our football program and he consented and and uh, began began the work on the facilities right away and the work started in the facility that housed meeting rooms and offices etc cetera, etc cetera, and uh, weight rooms and all and uh, the work had been going on for about a week and I could hear it every day in my office, you know, constantly, which was great. And then one day I came in and something was different. And after a while, I realized there was nobody working. And so I called the athletic director and I said, Steve, uh, there's, there's no work going on over here. Is there a problem? And he said, well, uh, unfortunately, yes, we've run out of money and we can't pay the workers. So they have stepped away from the, the job. And I said, uh, give me a moment to think about this. And I <laughs> back shortly and I said, Steve, uh, how much do we owe? And he told me a substantial number. And I said, okay, I'll, I'll pay for it. Now, I didn't have the money. By no stretch <laughs> of the imagination did I have the money, but I said, Steve, I will, I will pay for it. And I would have drawn money, borrowed money and whatever it took. And that, 
that kind of embarrassed Steve, you know, that the coach was going to have to pay for <laughs> all the facilities. And he reached out to some people and a fellow by the name of Jack Veneer came by to see me and Jack and his wife, Donna, who became uh, amazing dear friends, uh, said, okay, what do you need? We'll take care of it. And, and they did. And that was kind of the, uh, the solid beginning of building the structure anyway of Kansas State football. So it's actually kind of ironic. So I went to the University of Connecticut and it, it's ironic for two reasons. One, there's a famous story of Jim Calhoun, the basketball coach, would only show recruits blueprints of the uh, of Gamble Pavilion, which is now the home arena of, uh, of, this, of the team. And at the time they were playing in a leaky field house. But two, it's ironic because my alma mater was maybe the worst team in what is now FBS football last year with the new head coach, Jim Mora. Um, you know, what are, what are the outside of raising money and, and the story you just told, what are the first steps of taking over a program that has been so unsuccessful for so long? I mean, obviously it starts with good assistant coaches, players, but when you kind of put your head down day one and you say, I envision this four, five, six, ten 10 years down the road, what are those first steps? Well, uh, there were several, you know, I had to go into, you know, communities all around the state of Kansas uh and address a program and the fact that it wasn't going to be <clears throat> about me and uh, it was certainly going to be about a lot of different people and the fan base were certainly a part of it and we needed their help the average attendance at that time was only thirteen thousand, wow. and the nc2a rules indicated you had to have nineteen thousand in order to uh, remain a division one school. So the board of regents was attempting at that time to make a decision between either dropping to a division two school or dropping football. And, uh, so I went to the board of regents and appealed, uh, went to the fans to try to, uh, uh, get them involved, which they did, and our attendance went from 13 to 19 to uh, 21 to 35, and eventually up to uh, a full house of 51,000. And in successive years, the uh, and that was that was our fan base supporting, you know, the program. Uh, I went into the university and spoke with uh, uh, professors and groups. Uh, because I wanted our faculty to be uh, relative in our program and to support our program, and I wanted to support them. And I, you know, assured them that our program was going to be about education for young people, and we were going to support the educational values of the Institute, and we were going to support the faculty, and that I would never come to them with a asking for a favor of eligibility or grades, whatever the case may be. Uh, but I wanted them to be able to come to me, you know, if I could be of help at any particular point in time. Uh, went to the student body uh, in many different uh, uh, venues and spoke about the necessity to have them be an active part you know, of our program and truly get involved and attend and 
that we would reciprocate by being able to do a lot of functions for the, uh, the student body. You know, it was things like that. Uh, I took our players uh, out on the field, you know, at the, before we ever began and turned the scoreboard on and I told the players, uh, you know, it was just gonna be our approach, you know, that, that I was not going to uh, assess them based on what the scoreboard said, that I was going to uh, assess them based on their daily improvement and effort to do so. And that was our attempt was going to be to try to get better every single day. At the end of the first year, we'd won only one ball game. And that came on the last play of a, of a ball game. And uh, most people at that time were saying, you know, coach, you better get out of there or something. You know, you'll never be a football coach the rest of your life. And I said, I've never been more convinced that uh, we were going to be we were going to be fine. And the reason was because our players became invested and committed to that daily improvement and getting better each each and every day. And uh, uh, that was basically what took place during the season. And then, you know, we went from that one win season to four wins, to five, to seven, to nine, and then 10, and then 11, and 11, and 11, and 11, and 11. Uh, and in that, whatever that is, 10 year period of time, we just continually got a little bit better each and every year. And that was the, uh, that was a, a proving point, so to speak, for players as they went along and they saw, yes, this is happening, you know, just a little bit of improvement. And it, it sent, uh, sent a message about their value system and, and how valuable it is to find those ways to improve your life every day. Well, and that's, uh, you know, I know Nick Saban kind of has the same standard of it's not about um, the scoreboard. It's about getting better every day. And, and you know, and, and sometimes he's most upset uh, when they only win by a certain amount, but the uh, opponent is inferior or things like that. Um, you know, you were uh, a couple things. You were known at the time, I believe, for really kind of recruiting junior college players. Was that just a market inefficiency, a place that you felt like there was talent that was underexploited? I mean, what went into that as you use that to build the program? Well, I think uh, in the uh, in our years, any time that we had uh, a deficiency in regards to uh, a particular position, uh, that we didn't have a player that could step up and, and compete at a certain position, that's when we would go okay. to the community college and recruit. I didn't ever want to recruit over somebody. Okay. You know, if a young person came in as a freshman, you know, I wanted to honor that and let him work his way up and then not let him get up in his uh, junior and senior year and then go out and bring somebody in over the top of him. So, uh, that, but when, when we didn't have someone, you know, move up in a particular uh, capacity, then we would go into the community colleges. And my belief, you know, most people believe uh, <clears throat> there's something wrong with a community college player, you know, bad grades, bad person, bad player, whatever the case may be. And my feeling is always they're, they're young people just like those coming out of high school. They just happen to have a, a year or two more uh, as far as age is concerned, 
uh, but there's still, uh, th there are good people there. So, and we were very selective in regards to the quality of person that we brought into our program, whether it was high school or community college. You know, we wanted uh, good people that had, uh, that were committed and good people that had a quality intrinsic value system. And reading outside of the book, just some stuff about you, um, you were believed to be, or you were called the most detail-oriented coach in college football. Um, one, I assume that's a, a badge of honor, but uh, do, you, do you remember the story about the trip to Tokyo? Because I was thinking about that, and I, I was reading about that this morning. Do you remember the trip to Tokyo? Oh, I, I do, and uh, you know, there were an awful lot of things, which side of the plane we sat on, and whether that's... we were going to eat butter or margarine, etc., but, and those are true stories, but it was just a matter of looking out for the players and trying to put them in the best possible position that we, that we could. So tell the, tell the airplane story, because that's kind of a famous Bill Snyder. This is how we run our program. This is the attention to detail that we have here at Kansas state. Well, uh, we were flying, uh, we were making the trip with the university of Nebraska, who we were going to play in Tokyo uh, and uh, Tokyo. And there, uh, the entire trip is just amazing uh, about the trip because it's a long trip. You know, we're talking 12 hours or so. And uh, part of it was during the nighttime. And yet on one side of the plane was going to be daylight and the other side would be dark. <laughs> sure. And so I wanted the side of the plane that was going to be dark so our players could get uh, a decent night's sleep. And so I, I put in for that side and, and it wasn't, uh, you know, bullying anybody. You can't bully, you know, Nebraska or Tom Osborne, that's for sure. Uh, but I, uh, I, I just wanted that side of the plane for our players so they could get a good night's sleep. Did, did, did you, uh, did it take any convincing or were you just say, ah, well, we'll take the left side coach. We'll take the left side. And he didn't think anything of it. Uh, they, everybody was uh, consensual. Okay, very good. What other, what are those other little details, either your program as a coach? Because I mean, I think it seems like a trait of any, really any successful person, but certainly any successful coach. You know, Nick Saban is detail oriented. Urban Meyer, although he's struggling at the NFL level, I've talked to coaches that have coached under him that he said that he's very detail oriented. What are some of those kind of details on a day in, day out basis that allow you guys to have success where maybe they're falling through the cracks somewhere else? Well, I, I mean, there's uh, virtually anything and everything uh, that you could that you could mention, but it is, you know, strictly about that, and it's being able to define virtually every moment of every day, you know, how we would like for it to be, uh, assessing how it is or how it was, uh, making sure that we didn't put things off. Uh, being able to sit down with our staff, you know, every single night and, and project the next day, sit down every single morning with them and reassess uh, the, the coming day to be able to, uh, again, not waste any time, but making sure that there is somebody responsible for uh, and accountable for each and everything in your program and being able to go through and define all of those things that need to be addressed. I mean, there's countless numbers of them and I, I have pages upon pages and notebooks of, uh, 
you know, of day-to-day -day operations, so to speak, and, and things that need to take place. In a, and they're not in just general terms, you know, it's in detailed terms. Uh, and the, uh, you know, and there's just so many that, you know, that would take us five days here just to, to get through it. But uh, it, it was just a matter of being able to, to treat it that way and not only do it that way yourself, but making sure that A, you know, your, your staff and your coaches uh, are on the same page and they have the same uh, commitment to that detail and that, that I was able to monitor that to be sure that they were uh, staying attuned to it and then letting that uh, uh, move into the realm of players so that our players could develop that in their lives and, and their day, you know, as a college student, you know, you don't, a lot of people don't look at it uh, this way, but, uh, you know, a young student athlete has got so many things on his plate and especially today with the NIL, you know, that's going to make it crazy, but, uh, you know, they, they've got to get up and go to weight training and then they've got to start their uh, classes and go through classes and then they had study tables we demanded study tables during the day and evening with them and then uh, have their meals in there which they were mandated to have and uh, always took role and didn't allow for someone to miss meals you know unless we medically uh, uh, contributed to that uh, and then they had their, you know, their meetings and then their workouts and then they would go to uh, uh, dinner and, and the early stages when the NC2A allowed, then we'd have meetings again at night Then they'd have to uh, be at study table again and then they'd go home at 1030 and uh, collapse in bed and start again the, the next morning, you know, and we would have, uh, we would have people at the uh, uh, we, we had people assigned to each individual in the program to make sure they were up and out of bed at time in the morning. Uh, we had people at the classrooms to make sure that they were in attendance in their classroom. Uh, so it was, uh, it was supporting the things that we truly believed in and uh, getting young guys to get, to get into the, if nothing else, habit of being able to carry that heavy a schedule. And uh, now with all the other things with this NIL, you've got players out uh, beating the streets to see if they can uh, make a couple million dollars. And uh, that's, that takes away from, you know, a lot of other, a lot of other time. So it, it's crazy, crazy in this day and age, football. I was going to say, how, how have some of your, for, you know, you have a ton of former assistant coaches, uh, head coaches that you know that are still in it. How are they finding that balance? You know, I want to ask you about one of your former assistants, Brent Venables, that just took over at Oklahoma in a minute. But how are they handling kind of this this shifting world? Because uh, even in the last 18 months, two years, whatever it's been, it's like a, a completely different sport in some good ways and some some ways that remain to be seen, you know, like with this new signing period that, uh, you know, now coaches have to. It's craziness, but but what has the reaction been kind of within the coaching community? Well, I from what I know, and I don't, uh, you know, discuss it with uh, with a lot of coaches. Uh, but you know, my own personal feelings, you know, I think you know, and the, the game has changed. I say the game, not the game so much, but 
the surrounding factors, you know, have changed dramatically. I think the NIL thing where players, uh, you know, uh, that's pretty attractive for a player. And you, and, and you have to say, well, you know, that can't be a bad rule. You're allowing players to go out and, uh, and really, you know, earn a living for something that they devote themselves to. And so there's, there is some value in that, but where, where I am diametrically opposed to it uh, is the fact that, uh, you know, a, a young, one person can make a million dollars and another one can make $50. Sure. And, and I think that creates uh, some disharmony within a program. You know, I think if I'm a quarterback, you know, I can go out and knock on a few doors and pretty soon I've got a million bucks coming in. And if I'm an offensive lineman, I may be out knocking on some doors and I've got that $50 coming in. And pretty soon those offensive linemen are going to start looking at each other and saying, why, why are we blocking for him? <laughs> you know, what, how come, you know, no one values what we do. And pretty soon that offensive lineman saying, let's let somebody through there and see how that works out, you know, and pretty soon. Anyway, it creates some animosity, I think. And I, I did hear of a program here just recently that the athletic department accumulated the money and they distributed equally to all of their players that I can, I can buy into that. I feel comfortable with. Well, I mentioned it. Um, you know, your, your coaching tree is obviously extensive. I mean, I'd be remiss. We have some Oklahoma fans that listen. Uh, what what can you tell them about your former assistant, your former graduate assistant, Brent Venables, who's now taken over as the head coach at Oklahoma, you know, for a couple more years, uh, Big 12 rival of Kansas State. He'll be coming to probably uh, uh, Manhattan at least once uh, before Oklahoma leaves uh, leaves the Big 12. What What can you tell Oklahoma fans about him? Well, uh, Oklahoma fans know a great deal about him. He sure. went from here to, uh, uh, to Oklahoma, and he, he went there with Bob Stoops. In fact, they went at the same time. Bob was on our staff. Both of them were on our staff. Another fellow by the name of Mark Mangino was on our staff, went there, became, then became a head coach, and uh, went into Florida. Uh, but Brent's a uh, – I think he's the same person that he was uh, for the most part, uh, at least with the same uh, spirit towards the game. You know, he was uh, a young fellow when he came that was uh, uh, a hard, hard worker. He was uh, uh, kind of a, a strong mental uh, capacity for the, for the game. Uh, he tried to do everything the right way. Uh, he uh, he paid attention, he learned, he worked at it. Uh, when, he, when he left and went to Oklahoma, he was the same way down there and was the same way when he went to Clemson. And, uh, you know, they, they loved him down there as well. Uh, I think, uh, you know, the Oklahoma fans are going to be, be pleased with him. He will, he will commit himself and do anything and everything that's above board that he can to benefit that, uh, that program. And he's got Bob there, you know, with him uh, to, 
to help give him some guidance as well. Bob's retired there, but uh, still maintains his home in Oklahoma. Did he jump around and yell and scream back in the day like he still does now or what? Uh, yes, <laughs> uh, very much so. And, and it's just, he is, he is so mentally into it, you know, that, uh, you know, it's, it's almost like he's in a, uh, uh, in a, you know, locked up in a room someplace. Sure. And it bounces off the walls. Yep. And oblivious to, you know, what's on the outside other than that individual that he's focused on or that group of individuals that he's focused on. And uh, he's, uh, in fact, I think you say, uh, is he still the same? I think he's probably uh, maybe a little less, a little more subdued than you know, than he, than he has been previously. I think as years have gone by, he's, he's kind of tempered down a little bit. I was going to say, in, in, in modern college football, we, we call it a get-back coach, they, they, the coach that holds him back. I, I don't ever remember you needing one of those guys. So, uh, you know, you talk about the changing landscape of college football. I mean, that guy is, uh, you know, the face of it. But uh, Coach, this was really fun. I mean, anything else that, that fans need to know about the book or about your career or anything? Because it is a storied career. You know, I genuinely appreciate you making some time. Obviously, the holidays are coming up. Great gift for a college football fan that just wants to know a little bit about the history of the sport. Uh, anything else that jumps out that, that a fan should know about the book or your career? Anything we haven't hit on? Well, uh, the from the book, uh, it's... Uh... Uh, it really is it's very much a life story. I'm sure there's a few things that aren't in there, but <clears throat> for the most part, it, it truly is a life story uh, about a lot of things. Uh, my family, which is very special to me, uh, and so many other things that were not uh, strictly in the uh, uh, arena of football itself. Uh, the, the book is sold out. Uh, Amazon sold out. Uh, the, uh, I did two book signings in the last two days, and the bookstores both sold out. So it's moving quite well. Uh, Amazon will get the, uh, you know, ha they'll have the book back, but uh, they're re republished, and uh, they're in the process of doing that right now. But uh, it's, uh, uh, I've, I've been, uh, oh, uh, just honored, I guess, that, you know, so many have sold. But uh, anyway, uh, always been around great people, and I appreciate them for that. Yeah. All right. He is Coach Bill Snyder, uh, two-time Big 12 champ, Hall of Famer. And the book, again, is titled My Football Life and the Rest of the Story. You could get it at some point on Amazon. We might not even be able to get it by Christmas for, at this point, but uh, it is available on Amazon and, of course, uh, local books bookstores as well. Coach, we appreciate the time. Thank you for making some time and, and sharing a lot of your stories. We appreciate it. Aaron, thank you, and I wish you and your family a wonderful holiday. Thank you, Coach. I, same to you and your family. With the Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Are you feeling lucky? 
No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Judy was boring. Hello. Then Judy discovered Jumbacasino.com. It's my little escape. Now Judy's the life of the party. Oh, baby. Mama's bringing home the bacon. Whoa. Take it easy, Judy. The Chumba life is for everybody. So go to ChumbaCasino.com and play over a hundred casino style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details.